Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. series is all about. It's called I Am Jesus. And what we're doing is we're looking at, in the book of John, there are seven I Am statements that Jesus made about himself. And so we're going to focus on four very specific ones. Last week, we looked, excuse me, at the verse where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And we looked at at the the different characteristics of the good shepherd. What does it mean he he did for us? He provides, he protects, he leads and guides us. And so we we looked at the relationship between a sheep and the shepherd and and discovered those different characteristics of Jesus. If you missed that, you can download our app and you can listen to it there. Next week, we're going to talk about where Jesus said, I am the vine. And then Easter Sunday, we're going to do where he said, I am the resurrection. But today, today, we're going to look in John 8, 12, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows Jesus will never walk in darkness. And that's good news, right? Why is that good news? Well, because darkness is scary. Oh, come on, some of you guys, maybe you don't remember when you were a kid, being afraid of the dark. Anybody, was, were you afraid of the dark as a kid? Come on, there's more people out there than just me and Amy. All right, Will, thanks, I appreciate you playing. <laughs> I was scared of the dark, man, and there was like, I had a policy, I had a routine on how I was going to fight the monsters that would attack me if it was pitch black in my room at night. I did not like the darkness. I would get in my bed, and I would prop open my door a little bit, and then I would turn on either the hall light or the bathroom light, just so that a little bit of light was coming into my room. I eventually moved to a nightlight so that I didn't have to have the door open, but I needed something. I needed to be able to see a little bit, because if there was a little bit of light, that monster wouldn't get me. You know the one that lived underneath your bed, right? No, you guys didn't have a monster under your bed? Some of you had monsters in your closet, so your routine included making sure the closet door was closed. Some of you guys are still, like, I still keep my closet door. How many of you are adults and you still keep your closet door closed? (laughs) Shanda's out late if she's gone out and she's hanging with the girls or if she's in Kentucky visiting family. Here's what I do. Bathroom light, check. Lights on. Closet door, closed. Because, look, I want to know if that thing's coming for me. You know what I'm saying? I want to hear, it's, it's like creaky and stuff, you know, I'm not fixing it, I'm not putting WD-40 on it, forget it. I want to hear that thing creak open, I want to have an opportunity to say, Jesus, forgive me for everything, amen. I'm coming, I'm coming, Lord, I'm coming. Coming. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about, when you were a kid, like you were scared of the dark, right? You didn't want to, you, you were afraid that something was going to get you underneath your bed, so you didn't like let your arm hang over the edge of the bed, no leg, and there was nothing that could hang over the edge, because if you did... That thing was going to reach up and get you. And if you had to get up in the middle of the night and make pee-pees, you know, you, you, didn't, you didn't just swing your legs over the bed and stand up. You, like, kind of crouched in the bed and leapt. <laughs> Losing cough drops. <clears throat> that thing's not getting me. I know I'm not the only crazy one. And then when you came back from the bathroom, there was not just a walk to the bed. It was like a Superman dive into bed. And which really sucked for my brothers because we were in a bunk bed, right? And I was the guy in the lower bed. So in the middle of the night, I was just waking everybody up. But the nightlight always made the darkness less scary, right? Sarah, why are you talking about this? Well, because all throughout the Bible, 
we see this contrast of light and darkness. We see it over and over again. In fact, in Genesis, God begins the whole part of creation by speaking into the darkness and saying, let there be light. And then he divides the night and the daytime. All throughout scripture, we see where God is called light. He is referred to as light over and over again. And our spiritual enemy, Satan, is referred to as the prince of darkness. And so even Jesus, when he was talking to Saul, who was later to be renamed Paul, who, who, who evangelized and spread the gospel through all the, to all the Gentiles, the non-Jews, Jesus said in Acts 26, 17, he said, Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from, there's this word, darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. There's that contrast again. To turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan, which is darkness, to the power of God. And in, in that, previous, that verse we looked at in John, Jesus makes this life-changing statement that I am the light of the world. He is what we are to turn to. And he says, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, a lot of us know that verse, but we don't often understand the context in which that verse w was given, which, which Jesus said it, right? And it's really important that we understand it, and it's what we're going to spend our time looking at today, because Jesus said, I am the light of the world, after one of the most grace-filled stories that we see in the Bible. It's the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. He says it immediately after he deals with her. And so I think, I think it's really important that we look at this story, and I'm I'm going to spend some time wicka, wicka, breaking it down for you, all right? Now, the story is in three parts, and I'm going to name each part of them. The first part is the law, the second part is the love, and the last part is the light. Kind of sounds like a bad soap opera, right? The law, the love, and the light. I was going to sing the theme song for you but, uh, that I made up earlier, but I just don't have the voice for it today. So let's jump into it. The scriptures are going to be up on the screen. And uh, we are going to be in John 8, and this is the story. It says, at dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. So Jesus is doing what he normally does. He goes to the temple, and he teaches. He hangs out with the people, and he spends time with them. And this, this first part of the story, <coughs> what you need to know about the law is that the law reveals our guilt, Okay? The law reveals our guilt. If you're taking notes today, that's what I want you to know about the law and what, we're gonna sh what I'm going to talk about right now. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now let me explain what's happening here. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law are trying to out Jesus. They're trying to discredit him. Because what's happening is, is all the people are coming and listening to Jesus. Jesus doesn't work at that church. It'd be like some preacher standing out in my lobby, and he's holding session, and you guys are all gathered around him, and I'm standing in here preaching my guts out, and nobody's listening to me anymore. They're out there in the foyer. This is what's happening, okay? This is, they're not happy about it. And Jesus is doing miracles and, and being compassionate and loving people, and they're all following him and placing their hope in him, and they're, they're all done with it. And so... They, they, there's multiple opportunities throughout Scripture where we see they're trying to trip Jesus up. And that's what they're doing in this situation. They found somebody who is in the throes of passion, committing adultery, whether she was married and he was married, or both of them, or just one, we're not really sure. But they caught somebody in the throes of passion, 
and drug her in front of Jesus and in front of the people that he was teaching. Now in this situation, when they grabbed her, when they caught her in adultery, you would think that, that maybe they just walked in on her. And I think, I think that the Pharisees probably knew that these people were going after it prior to the situation. You understand what I'm saying? I think they were strategic about it and they waited on them. I think they knew and they waited on them to get together again and then seize that moment to drag her before Jesus so they could catch him, so they could, so they could, they could embarrass him. What they did, though, is they grabbed just the woman and not the man, and they dragged her in front of these people, and we don't know, because the verse doesn't say whether she had time to even get dressed. It is quite possible that she was thrown naked in front of this group of people in Jesus, or she was wrapped up in a sheet, so she looked like she was wearing a toga, you know what I mean? And thrown in front of Jesus, and in this darkest moment of her life, she's experiencing the worst humiliation she's ever experienced, and she realizes Her time on this earth is about to expire. Here's why. The teachers of the law said to Jesus, he said, In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So they're trying to trap Jesus and discredit discredit him by asking him this question. Because here's what you need to understand. The law reveals our guilt And the law of Moses says that if you're caught in adultery, that you're to be stoned, that you're to be killed. Now, I don't mean recreationally stoned, okay? I'm not talking about the wacky tobacco. I'm talking about they put you outside the city. They all stood around you in a circle and threw heavy rocks at you until you were dead. They stoned you. They killed you if you were caught in adultery. And here's Jesus in a very unique situation because if he agrees with them, then Jesus loses his reputation as being compassionate and loving. If he says, yep, she needs to be stoned, go for it, kill her. The people who are following Jesus because of the grace and the love he's demonstrated, I mean, they've seen Jesus forgive somebody's sins. Well, well, then I guess guess maybe he's not as loving as we thought. But But if he says no, that she shouldn't be stoned, then he's going against the law of Moses. And the law of Moses is the way the Jewish people governed themselves. And so there would be an uprising of the people. It's likely that the woman would have been stoned and that Jesus would have been stoned in that moment for heresy, for speaking against the law of Moses. And so Jesus is in a bit of a pickle. Now what you need to know about the law is that it reveals our guilt. And people, people don't like to admit that they're guilty, do we? We don't like to say that we've done something wrong. That's not our best quality. It's not our best day. It's not our finest moments. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to say that we are guilty. In fact, most of us would say, if I ask you if you're a good person or a bad person, you'd tell me that you're a good person because comparatively to somebody else, you think you are a good person. But biblically, we're not to compare ourselves to Joe Schmo down the road. We're to compare ourselves to God. And when we do that comparison to a holy, perfect God, we discover that we are guilty. We discover that we are sinful. What does sinful mean? It means we are full of sin. It means that our heart is full of improper attitudes, improper desires. It is full of ourselves. We're sinful in comparison to God. Let's just do a quick poll. And I want you to play along, okay? No, there's no no shame in this game. 
If you have ever told a lie, shoot your hand up. Shoot it up, hold it up high. Now, with everybody, got your, keep your hands up. Keep your hand up for a second. Look around the room and find the people with their hands down and look at them and call them a liar. You are a liar. It's always fun to call people liar, isn't it? You can put your hands down. All of us have told a lie, right? All right, uh, this one's not going to be very fun, but I will tell you that I have done this before, so feel okay. If you've ever stolen anything before, shoot your hand up. Some, there's more thieves in here than you'd like to admit. A lot of you guys have got the blue pens from the back of these chairs. You've got like five of them in your car because you take them home every week. I know who you are. <laughs> All right, how about this? How, and I, I'm, I'm sure if you're sitting here with your spouse or your significant other, you're not going to play along with this. But how many of you ever lusted after somebody before? You've looked at them and you say, well, and your pushback is, well, Aaron, I'm not really lusting after them. I'm just admiring God's creation. Like, oh, man. <laughs> You have done some fine work with this one right here. I'm just telling you. I'm, I'm just going to spend some time admiring the work of your hands, God, because it is good. Good. Man. So, if you have lied before, you are a? Liar. If you have stolen anything, you are a? Now, the Bible says if you've lusted after somebody in your heart, then you're in a, that, that it's like committing adultery with that person. So if you've committed adultery, you are an adulterer, yeah. So what are we? We are a church full of lying, thieving adulterers. Welcome to Simple Church, where we preach feel-good messages to help you in your walk with Christ. <laughs> but it's, it's important that you understand we are sinners, because until we realize or admit that or see ourselves as sinners, we won't realize our need for a Savior. I'm going to say it again. Until we realize that we are sinners, we will not realize our need for a Savior. Comparatively, we're all sinners. The law, the Ten Commandments, I just gave you three of them. And we can see that we're all sinners and we need a Savior. According to the law, the woman was guilty. According to the law, we're all guilty. Thankfully, the story doesn't stop there, though, because the law reveals our guilt, but the love reveals God's grace. The love reveals God's grace. In, chapter, or in verse 6, it continues and says, Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, here's what I love about Jesus. This cat is cool as a cucumber. He doesn't even care that these guys have just put him in a pickle. He doesn't care. He's not even phased by the fact that they're asking him one of the most difficult questions possibly of his public ministry. Because he's either going to reveal that he's not loving and compassionate or he's going to be stoned to death for, for speaking heresy. It's a difficult situation. Jesus doesn't even care. What does he do? He stoops down on the ground and starts writing in the sand with his finger. Now, come on. You ever been in a fight with somebody or you're like accusing somebody of doing something and you're like, you're completely heated and they're just like not even meeting your level of, of anger. They're just totally chill. Doesn't that just irritate you? Like you could be calling them names. You could be accusing them of the worst things and they're just kind of chill. That's Jesus in this moment. He's completely chill drawn on the ground. Now what is he writing on the ground? Well, we, we can't really be sure actually because the Bible doesn't say. He could have been doodling. We don't know. But we do know that whatever he was writing was powerful. Some manuscripts do bear out that Jesus was actually writing down the sins of the accusers, the guys who had brought 
the adulterous woman before Jesus. In fact, what you need to know is your Bible's written in two languages, Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New. <coughs> and because it's written in those languages, for us to understand it in English, they have to be translated. So the Greek word here that was used to write down that Jesus was on the ground writing something is the word griffin. And griffin means to write down. But there's another word that was actually used here called katagriffin. And kata means against, and griffin means to write down. So what he was saying is what this word that was used here actually means is write down a record against someone. That's why it's highly possible that Jesus is just reading their mail and writing their sins on the ground. And he's probably writing their names. He's got little columns going. Johnny and Adam and Steve, little lines underneath. Okay, this is the date. This is the time. This is who you were with. It's likely that he's calling out their sins as he's writing on the ground. Because Jesus is God in flesh. He knew everything. He wouldn't have been surprised by anything that was coming his way, and he would have known their details. The verse continues on in, in, in verse 7. It says, when they kept on questioning him, Jesus is sitting here doodling in the sand, writing whatever he's writing. They keep on questioning him. He straightens up and says to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. In the Greek, this word without sin doesn't necessarily mean that they hadn't committed a sin. What it means is that you didn't even want to commit a sin. So read it again and it says, let he who has never even wanted to commit a sin be the first to throw a stone. If you never even wanted to, like in your heart, if you've ever driven a car on a road here in Reynoldsburg, you've wanted to commit a sin against somebody. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Guilty. You've wanted to. Whether you did or not, doesn't matter. And it's really funny how these guys... They're judging people's outward behaviors because their outward behavior was good, but their inward behavior was sinful. And it's so easy for us to get caught up in what we see in other people's lives, isn't it? The sin we see in other people's lives, that we forget about our own sin. We forget about our own evil thoughts. We forget about the things that we secretly desire to do, the attitudes and the way we live our lives when no one's looking we forget about those things. But Jesus says, let you who is without sin, having not ever wanted to sin, throw that first stone. Verse 8 says again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Basically, her accusers are like, uh, mayday, mayday, uh, uh, echo, tango, bravo, we've got to get out of here. He's, uh, the ship's going down. They're freaking out. He's sitting there writing out our sins. We're done. Toast, and it says the older ones went first. Why the older ones first? No idea. Maybe because they had a longer rap sheet. And they're like, I can see where this is going. This is going to be bad. I don't, I don't need him writing down my stuff. Deuces, I'm out. And they start walking away. Verse 10 says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Watch this. If you think that, that word condemned is a, is a churchy kind of word, it's really not. It's a legal word. Condemned means to pass judgment of guilty. It means to sentence them. You're guilty. Here's what you get because of your guilt. And in her situation, he said, where's those people that are sentencing you to death? Where did they all go? 
has no one condemned you? And her response, she says, no one, sir. And this is the grace-filled moment. Jesus looks and says, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I sentence you to death. Oh, you're guilty. You're worthy of the sentence of death, but I, I don't condemn you either. The law reveal, reveals our guilt, but there's no guilty verdict for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. God's grace changes everything. It changes everything. Because by God's grace today, you are not what others say you are. You are not what you've done. Well, people are gonna always hold you to what you did. They're gonna keep on bringing up your past. They're gonna be history majors about who you were. But it doesn't matter who they say you are. It matters who Jesus says you are. Because we need to remember that they're just as sinful as you are, maybe in different ways. But Jesus, who is perfect, looks at you and says, you're guilty, but I don't condemn you to death. I have something better for you. I'm gonna give you what you don't deserve. That's called grace. I'm gonna give you my grace. The law reveals your guilt, but the love reveals his grace. And Satan, the accuser, our spiritual enemy, will continue to come to you and accuse you, will continue to throw your past in your face. He'll either speak to your heart, he'll use people to speak into your life. Either way, he will accuse you. He'll say what you've done, or because of what you've done, nobody can love you. Because of where you've been, you can't do that. Because of the life that you lived, you'll never have that. Or because you've been too long, you can't turn back now. Or because you're too broken, you won't fit into the body of Christ. Satan throws our past in our faces. He accuses us and condemns us to a life that God didn't intend for us. Let me give you a little hint. When the enemy starts reminding you of your past, just spend some time reminding him of his future. Because see, we can flip to the, to the last book in the Bible. It's called Revelation. It tells us his end. It tells us he loses. It tells us that the light triumphs over the dark. You say, Aaron, is there some magic to that? No, but it sure feels good to win a fight, doesn't it? It always feels good to be on top. Put him in his place. Remind him of his future. So was the woman guilty? Yes, she was. She was absolutely guilty. But love, and not this feeling, not the love, the, the feelings that we have for each other, but love is an action word. What Jesus did revealed his grace. He said, neither do I condemn you. He says, I won't sentence you to the punishment you deserve because of your guilt. I'll give you grace instead. Let me, let me make it clear this way. When I was younger, I was serving in a youth ministry. And uh, we had these things throughout the week, kind of like our grow groups, just for the teens. And we called them house parties. And we'd set up this party, and we'd invite all the kids to the neighborhood to come, and we'd bring in youth from the youth group, and we'd have a time. Man, we'd play games, we'd eat pizza, and then we'd sit down and we'd share Jesus with them. Kids were giving their lives to Christ left and right. It was incredible. And one night I was tasked with picking up one of the young men and bringing him to this house party. Now, I'm going to say something that will probably scare some of you younger folk. I was driving to his house without a GPS. Back in the day, we didn't have those things. 
Oh, we had MapQuest for a little bit. And you could type in an address and it would give you turn-by-turn direction, but it printed it on a piece of paper. You think texting and driving is dangerous. Try reading directions and driving. That's a hot mess. And so I'm a young guy and I'm driving into Pickerington, a place I've never been before, and I'm on Pickerington Road. Now, if you know anything about Pickerington, that the police there have a reputation for being sticklers. There is no grace in Pickerington. And I'm on Pickerington Road, and the speed limit changed, and I didn't notice it. Because speed limits are on the right-hand side of the road, right? Posted. And I'm looking left because my next turn is a left-hand turn. And this is me driving. And the speed limit dropped from 35 to 25, quicker than I could blink, didn't see the sign. And I'm driving, and I'm looking left. I'm looking at my piece of paper, and here's what happened. I saw the speed sign a little too late. I'm driving, I'm looking down at my piece of paper, I look left, look paper, look straight. I see the 35 or the 25 mile an hour sign. I look down at my odometer, I'm going 35, and then I look right. There's a police officer there. And he saw that whole interchange happen between this. He saw all that happen. And my immediate response was this. And his was, (laughs) you can't make it up, true story. Flips on his lights, pulls me over, because you can't pull over on Pickerington Road. There's no, there's no side there. I make a left, and oh, it's the road I'm looking for. That was convenient. <laughs> and he gives me a ticket. I was just a young guy. So I pull up to the youth's house, and I apologize to his father because I'm 30 minutes late, you know, because they take their time getting your ticket. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I, I said I was looking, and I explained the situation. I didn't see the speed limit change. His dad said, well, when, when's the date of court? When are you going to court? And I said, ah. Gave him the date. He said, I'll come. I'll, I'll go with you. All right. I was just going to pay the fine, but I guess I'm going to court now. And I showed up into that courtroom, and sure enough, the kid's dad was there. And the mayor was residing over the, over the, 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 the traffic tickets. And he calls my name, and I stood up, and... He says, James DeLong, because that's my name. He says, well, how do you plead? And I said, guilty. I'm guilty. I did it. But may I say something, sir? He said, absolutely. And I began to explain. I was unfamiliar territory. I said, I'm guilty of the charge. I was in unfamiliar territory. I was trying to get to, to this young man's house. We were going to a youth event on a Friday night. And he said, a youth event, huh? He says, is that true? And the kid's dad stood up next to me. And he said, sir, I'm the boy's father. And yes, this young man was coming to pick up my son to take him to a youth event. He said, we need more people like that. Keep kids out of trouble. He said, dismissed. And my ticket was discharged. Why? Because I had an advocate. I had somebody stand with me that said, he's guilty. But I'm going to be his advocate. I'm going to stand with him. If that young man's dad hadn't been there with me, I would not have had that dismissed. I had an advocate. And you and I, though we are guilty, we have an advocate. Jesus. Stands right next to you and says, hey, I got this one. He's guilty, but he's with me. He's guilty, but why don't we just hold off? Let him enjoy my grace. And Jesus reveals his love for us and what he did for us. 
He revealed his grace and what he did for us. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is our advocate. And so in the story, Jesus drove her condemners away and said, neither do I condemn you. But what does he say next? (coughs) He doesn't say to her, you're forgiven. I understand that this is just the way that you are. I understand you came from a broken home. You got daddy issues and that this is the way you experience love is by giving your body to men. He didn't say that, that this is gonna be okay, just try not to sleep with married men. He didn't say that to her. And Jesus doesn't look at our lives and say that to us either, that hey, it's okay. He doesn't look at us guys and say, hey guys, it's okay, I know that you're lustful and that you're gonna look at pornography and that's okay because realize you're just dogs inside and you can't control yourself. Just, just you know, try not to look at it too much. Where he doesn't say, no, it, it's, it's okay. I, I realize that you overspend every week, like every dime is spent elsewhere and you don't have the money to pay your bills or to honor your family and get the food you need or maybe, maybe if you're in a situation where you need to pay child support, you're, you're out in the clubs instead of taking care of your kids. It's all that's okay, it's no big deal. You know what, honor me with your finances if you've got anything left, whatever, it's fine. He doesn't say that to us. He doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, you know what, I realize that you're, you're gossiping because you don't have much going on in your life. And this is what you need to do. You need to tear people down to make yourself feel better about yourself. That's cool. Just try not to do it around the holidays and especially on Sunday. That's my day, so don't do that. that that's not what Jesus did. He, he didn't do that. He, he looked at her and said, look, I don't condemn you, but watch what he does in the, next, in the next part of the verse. He says, Jesus declared. Now, this is not Jesus saying. Jesus declared. You ever had somebody declare something to you? Feels like they're like shaking you to the core, right? Jesus declared, go when? Now. Go now and leave your life of sin. There's some urgency behind what he's saying. He said, you can be free from this darkness that you're you're living in. Go now. Walk away from it. We call this repenting, turning and walking a different way. He says, walk the way that I'm telling you to walk. You can be free from the darkness. And that same voice that is speaking, that spoke to her in this story was Jesus is speaking to you today. He's speaking to the darkness that you are currently experiencing and he is calling to you and telling you, go now. That darkness that you're trapped in. Sometimes it presents itself different ways. Sometimes it's, it's in a secret life that you are living. Others of you, sometimes it presents itself in thoughts of adultery, or maybe you're committing adultery right now. Others of you, you, you've got issues watching porn, you can't stop doing it. Others of you, it's materialism or anger, unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart and life. These are behaviors that, that present the darkness. Others of you, it's things you believe about yourself that is the darkness. Some of you carry around shame. Shame says... Not what you did was bad, but that because you are bad, you did. That's different. Makes you into a bad person and you carry the weight of that. That's a shame. Either because of something you did or something somebody did to you. And if it's something somebody did to you, you begin to believe that I deserve that. And you carry the shame of that. 
Others of you, the darkness in your life is that you don't like yourself. Others of you, you harm yourself or you live a life filled with doubts. But Jesus is calling to you and saying, go now, leave your life of sin. The light of the world is on the scene and when the light shows, darkness goes. He's saying, go now. Go now, you can be free, you can be changed. This is your time, go now. So the law reveals our guilt, the love reveals God's grace, and the light reveals our hope. In verse 11, when he says to her, go now and leave your life of sin, it kind of feels a little preachy, right? Like he's reprimanding her a little bit. But that's not what he's doing. See, what you need to understand about people who are caught in a cycle of, sh of shame and sin, they have no hope. They have no hope that tomorrow can be any different, that their next moment is going to be any different. They're broken. They've believed a lie. They've bought into the lies of the accuser. They have no hope. And Jesus is looking at this woman who was caught in adultery and gives her hope. He says your tomorrow can be different. Right now can be different. You don't have to be an adulteress anymore. You can go and live a life that I intended for you. What's the life he intended for us? To live our lives to the fullest. To enjoy life. See, people think that God lays out thou shalt nots and don't do this because he's a party pooper. That's not it at all. He looks at those things and says, these things are going to bring destruction into your life. It's not my best for you. And when you take part in them, you're destroying yourself. You're destroying your relationships. You're destroying your purpose and your potential in this world. You're not living your life to the fullest. You're missing out on my point and purpose for your life. You're missing it. And Jesus is encouraging her by offering her hope that her next moment Walking away, wearing a toga, can be different. He gives her hope. He says, don't walk away from this the same. Go now and leave darkness. Leave shame. Leave that cycle of broken relationships. Leave that pain behind. In verse 12, he says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, because remember, he was teaching people. They didn't go anywhere. They've been hanging out, watching this whole thing happen. He says, when he spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When Jesus said, I don't condemn you, he stopped just being the light of the world. When he told her, I don't condemn you, he became the light of her world. What changed? It changes everything. God's love and his grace in your life changes everything becomes personal for you. And let me tell you that today he's calling to you the same way that he called to that girl. He's saying, I am the light of the world, but I want to be the light of your world. I want to see the darkness that you're enveloped in be vanquished. Whatever that pain is, whatever that cycle is, whatever that shame is, whatever it is that you are living in, that way that you are going that is destroying your life, want to see you free from that but here's the good news the light is never defeated by the darkness there is not any amount of darkness in this world that could put out the smallest flame on the smallest candle it doesn't happen 
Jesus always wins. And Jesus can vanquish the darkness in your life today. Shame can't stand in the presence of Jesus. Sin, your past, can't stand in the presence of Jesus. It is forgiven. You get to walk away from this moment like that woman, forever changed. In John 12, 46, Jesus says, I've come into the world as light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus is the light of the world so that we don't have to live in darkness. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to speak to those of you, maybe you're here today and you're living under condemnation. You feel like a sentence has been passed on your life, that you are forever stuck with what you've done in the past. You are forever who you were in the past. You have no hope of a new beginning. You're burdened with guilt because what you did was bad. Maybe you're burdened with shame because of the bad thing you did, you feel like you're bad, like you're damaged, you're forever this way. But today, Jesus wants to give you hope. He wants to tell you that there is freedom from this sin that you continually engage in. He wants to see you forgive yourself the same way he will forgive you. He wants to see you have freedom from your shame and find a new identity in him. He's standing here, ready to be your advocate. Are you ready for him? Others of you, you're here today and you'd say, Aaron, I'm in darkness. I've been caught in the trap of doing things my own way. My sin has me all tangled up. I'm lost. I'm, I'm searching for freedom. I'm searching for purpose. I'm searching for that thing that will light up my life and my heart. That thing that will light up your heart and your life that you're missing is Jesus. He is the light of the world. Some of you are afraid of the light. You're afraid to approach it because if you approach the light, it'll reveal the, the darkness in your own. It'll reveal some of the things you've been secretly holding on to. You're like, I I'm going to clean myself up before I come to Jesus, but that's not necessary. <clears throat> that darkness in your life will leave when you come to him because he is the light. And here's the good news. No matter how bad you've been, no matter what you've done, he's already seen it. He already knows. And he loves you anyway. He's waiting with open arms for you. He's beckoning you today to come into his light, to be forgiven, to be made brand new. He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you a new life. He wants to see you live this life from this day forward to the fullest. Say yes to Jesus today. If that's you, I'm gonna pray a prayer in just a moment. If you wanna be counted in on that prayer to say yes, every head is bowed, nobody's looking around. I'm not gonna embarrass you or ask you to come to the front. You can stay right where you're at. But would you let me know that you're here? Just shoot your hand up and say, Aaron, count me in on that prayer. Do it now, put your hand up now. Now's your moment. Now's your moment, yeah. Say yes to Jesus. Thank you. You can put your hands down. This is that moment where everything changes. Your day is not going to look like, like it was going to look before this moment. This moment changes it all. Your tomorrow is brand new. You will be brand new. 
I'm going to pray this prayer, and you, you just join along with me. If you're listening by podcast, no matter where you're at, you can join us in this prayer. You can pray out loud or pray in your heart, but you just need to mean it. Whichever one you do is fine. If you're watching by Periscope today, right where you're at, God will meet you there. Join us in this prayer. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you came to this earth, that you lived a perfect, sinless life. You died on the cross and rose again on the third day, all so that I could be made brand new. Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of my mistakes and my sins. Make me brand new. Make me more like you. Give me your Holy Spirit. Show me how to live for you, and I'll spend every day doing just that. Be Lord of my life and show me how to live it. In Jesus' name I pray.